Right now, everybody wants the government to be really big and we don't want to pay for it. And that's not going to get resolved until we have a crisis. Hello there. Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And first up today, we have sportsbet.io, the very best place online gaming because they're so badass that they accept Bitcoin. And now the football season started. It's, you know, it's been a really strange start to the season, but I'm out there, you know, my Liverpool team. We might have drawn a game, but we're going good. I feel, we, feel we're going to have a hot season. Now, look, if you are interested in putting a bet on sports, football, anything out there, Sportsbet has you covered. Alongside football, they support tennis and motorsports. They've got US sports and they even support esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. And next up, we have the Exodus wallet, who I use exclusively as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. And as you know, because I talk about it all the time, UX is super important to me. So when the team at Exodus reached out and they said, Pete, we want to sponsor your podcast. I was like, well, come on, I've got to play with it first. I'm not just going to take your money. Do you know what? They crushed it, which is why I'm happy to recommend it to you, my friends, and my family. Now, Exodus Desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address, knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. And that is E-X-O-D-U-S. And lastly, this week, we have Casa, which is the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, and phishing attacks, there are all too many ways for your Bitcoin to be lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about this shit again. Because with a Casa multi-sig wallet, you can take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, and you get to distribute those wallets into different locations. And that is going to protect you from a range of mistakes errors and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, you can email me, you can drop me a DM. I always reply. I've been a customer for about a year now and happy to answer your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Good morning, John. How are you today? I'm doing awesome and it's great to be with you, Peter. Well, it's great to, it's great to have you on. I appreciate you coming on. Somebody forwarded an article of uh, yours to me uh, ubiquity, complexity, and sand piles, which I ended right. up reading. I ended up reading it twice and thinking, I need to talk to this guy. And, and actually, what a day to talk to you. I'm talking to you on the day that the first country in the world has made Bitcoin legal tender, and I'm in that country. So it just feels nice to actually talk to somebody who isn't totally in the Bitcoin rabbit hole. So welcome to my show. <laughs> and it's uh, going to be good to talk to you. So what we should do is start off if... Uh, usually have lots of Bitcoin people on the show and everyone knows who they are. Some people might not know who you are. So can you just give a bit of an introduction to who you are and your background so we can sync well, people? I'm, I'm, I'm an investment advisor, money manager, but what I'm known for is I write a newsletter that goes to a million or so people a week. It's free, so the price is right. Uh, and I write about whatever interests me that week. Uh, uh, last week and this week, we're talking about uh, labor shortages and how that's playing out into the economy and why it's actually has the potential to slow the economy down uh, much faster than economists were projecting, you know, three or four months ago. Well, that's a problem if you get down to what I call stall speed, uh, which is 1% GDP or less, then anything that happens pushes you over into recession 
the Federal Reserve has already got its foot on the gas pedal. They've got nothing more they can do. Um, I, I think they've already made the policy mistake. They should have, and we can talk about this if you want to, but they, yeah, they, should, they to. should have been, they should have been uh, uh, reducing the, the, the amount of money they're spending and raising rates starting earlier this year uh, when the, the economy was recovering. It hadn't recovered completely, and they seem to want uh, the pursuit of perfection to be there before they start uh, backing off. And what that's going to mean is, given all of the problems that we've got now, I think perfection is going to be a very difficult thing to obtain in the short term, the short term being, you know, uh, one or two years, uh, which means they're going to continue to, with the QE, continue with the low rates. And that has the potential, um, and we can get in this, to give us inflation. Uh, I mean, we're already seeing inflation, but it, it the one thing the Fed had be, has been good at since Paul Volcker was controlling inflation. And they're not doing so good now, so... And, and they're they're getting ready to repeat, I think, some mistakes by a former Fed chair. So there's tons of areas that we can go to. Uh, so I've much. got I've got five bestsellers, seven books, um, and you know, lots of TV and all of the normal stuff that people get with media. Um, but as we talked earlier, I'm often wrong, seldom in doubt, but I do have an opinion. So <laughs> just you ask and I'm I'm here. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. And I feel privileged to have you on the show because after the article I read that was sent by a friend of mine, uh, I, I have been kind of diving into some of your work. Uh, and uh, I've really enjoyed your work because as someone who likes things explained easily, you uh, your articles, which I will share in the show notes, and I'll get people to subscribe. You break things down in easy, easy to understand, uh, easy ways to understand, especially the metaphors you use. Well, it it has been my gift. As I'm, I'm not really um, an economist or a writer as much as I'm a storyteller. Uh huh. Definitely. And so I I tell the story about investments. I tell the story about economics, and. We're much more comfortable as human beings with stories. When when you when when you can bring something into that's complex and make it relatable into a story, uh, we tend to understand it easier. And that's just been my gift. Uh, my friends that know that I have an Irish heritage, they say I kiss the Blarney Stone. So. Uh, well, I know the Blarney Stone. I'm half Irish. My my father lives in Ireland. So yeah. I've I've been to Ireland nearly a hundred times. So I like a bit of Irish heritage. Okay, well let's start with labour shortages because this is something we are uh, seeing in the UK. I'm not in the UK right now, but there are, there's a number of different sectors that are seeing uh, labour shortages. I know specifically uh, in the uh, HGV uh, truck drivers, for example, they're seeing a massive shortage. But we keep seeing new stories of labour shortages, yet we still see uh, figures of high unemployment. So can you explain to me what's going on there? Well, the answer is there's no simple answer. There's lots of things. Um, COVID is is a big part of that. People are, people are not wanting to go out and get into the market. Um, they're concerned about getting COVID uh, with some justification. I mean, there's a significant portion of your fellow UK and certainly for my US citizens that haven't 
they've chosen not to get a vaccine. Um, I would suggest you get one, especially if you, you know, if you're like me, I'm, I'll be 72 here in another few weeks. And I, you know, you have problems uh, if you uh, come down with COVID. Um, I just don't see the risk of it, but a lot of people do. So they're more cautious about getting back into the workforce. Uh, one of the things that's happened in the U.S., I haven't seen any data from the U.K., but we've doubled the number of people doing homeschooling from two and a half million to five million in just the last year. That means, let's say that even 60% of those people had been in the workforce. Well, that's a million and a half people that are now not in the workforce, mostly women. But that's 1% of the U.S. labor force. And there's an equation that's it's like two plus two equals four. It's, 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 an, it's an identity equation. Everybody, everybody agrees that it's GDP, that's the productivity of your economy, is equal to the number of workers times productivity. It's very simple. So if you right. reduce the number of workers, you're going to have a challenge with your GDP. Well, you pull up 1% of your workers that now are staying home and uh, homeschooling. We're losing another one and a half million to what's known as long COVID. Um, do I need to explain that? Nope. I just, I, huh? No, we know what long COVID is. You, if you know what long COVID is, fine. I mean, but that that's, that's a million and a half workers. That's another 1% of GDP. Now, will they get over it? Will they find the cures for it? I mean, it's such a random, very uh, varied uh, problem that we can't put our finger on it, but it's still reducing the workforce. Um, there's skill mismatch. There's 10 million jobs out there that people are advertising saying, please come to work for us. And, um, you know, I was driving through rural Maine here a month ago and uh, I did something that I don't normally do. I pulled into a McDonald's and got a McDonald's milkshake. I have probably hadn't done that in for 10 or 15 years. And um, I have a theory that calories don't count if, if they're in Maine. Um, I, go, I, I, go, I go to an um, economic fishing camp there every year. Uh, and so a bunch of economists and uh, hedge fund managers get together and we fish and drink. And we use that as an excuse. So you go past the, the window to get your milkshake and it says $15 an hour, $13.50 part-time. Uh, that's in rural Maine. I mean, okay. it's not it's not the city. It's not whatever. And you're seeing that signs all over the and people. That's that's inflation. Um, it's it's a it's a wage spiral. I mean, it's just there's no other way we can put around it. And you're not going to be able to you know say well things have gotten back to normal. We're now we're only going to pay you twelve dollars an hour. That's that's just not going to work. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's still not enough people. Uh, some of it is clearly they're getting income from government sources, but that's going away. Uh, we're not seeing, from the states that have already done that, we're not seeing a big boost in their uh, uh, employment. So it's a, there's something happening in the underlying zeitgeist. Um, 25 years and old and uh, uh, 25 years older and younger are not coming back into the workforce for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. 
And that's millions of people. And those are the people that work in the, uh, the hospitality, the, the hotels, the restaurants, the bars, and so forth. And we saw this last Friday when we had the unemployment report, 233,000. I mean, it, it stuck up the room. And there were zero jobs in the uh, hospitality world. And some people says, well, that means they're not hiring. And I'm not certain that's the case. It could be they're not working. They just, you haven't, you haven't put the bid in front of me that says I'm willing to, I'm willing to come hit your bid to take that job. Uh, and, and frankly, uh, you've got customers that are upset. You're dealing with people that are not very nice to you. Uh, in conditions where you're working your tail off. Um, it's not exactly, I mean, I've, I worked as a bar, worked in bar, worked, worked in restaurants, you know, when I was in college. And um, it's not a glamour job. Mm -hmm. So um, there's, there's lots of things pushing back that's reducing the, the, the amount of labor. And that's going to end up affecting GDP. Now, when you get to growth rates, we've we've run the debt up, and there are so many macroeconomic studies that show that debt, after it gets to a certain portion, and we're way past that in the U.S., you're pushing again in the U.K., uh, is a becomes a drag on growth. I mean, the, the government starts crowding out uh, uh, private investment. And uh, uh, it, it crowds out uh, capital uh, uh, expenses. Well, what, what you end up with is something like Japan, where mm. they, they've had zero growth now, in nominal growth, zero, for 22 years. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go to Japan, which I have, it's a wonderful place. Yep. Everybody's happy. There's wonderful food. Everybody's working. Um, I mean, you know, the, the trains run on time. Uh, there's, there's great cars made, all of that stuff. But they're, but they don't, they're not, in terms of, of, of growing per capita, they're not doing that. And we're watching, we look at Europe. Europe doesn't have much growth, and yet they've gotten way more debt percentage-wise than the U.S., but the U.S. is doing our best to catch up. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're really working at it. Um, you know, we, we, we seem to want to be Italy and Greece. <laughs> um, well, it sounds, it sounds to me, so one of the things that, that sounds to me like there, there, there is demand in the economy, but there isn't enough supply of people to support that demand, and that is what is reducing the GDP, because you're not seeing the productivity. I hadn't, I hadn't associated the, the two. And one of the things that somebody sent me early on, because like I said, I'm not an economist. My background's advertising. This uh, this podcast was uh, a complete fluke. I started it by, as, a, <laughs> as a hobby and it's now become my job. So I had to study a little bit. Well, by, by the way, I relate to that. My letter, I stuck on the internet as an afterthought. Oh, right. Uh, okay. I, I had a print letter just like every other respectable person. <laughs> and you would sell your print letter, and, and I stuck it on the internet as an afterthought, and it just blew up. Yeah. Uh, and cool. all of a sudden, it goes from 2,000 to 3,000 to 6,000 to 12 to 15 to 100. Um, and you go, wow, 
And then I shut the print letter down because the electronic free model was so much better. So, yeah. you know, and, and which is, you know, you've, take, you've had something happen. You came on at the right time. You struck gold. And the entrepreneur in you said, this is where I want to go. And it is yep. a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Well, I struck digital gold, as uh, some of the listeners will say. Uh, but what, one, something somebody said to me early on was, watch this video by Ray Dalio, how the uh, economic, I think, it's, is it how the economic machine works? Right. Yeah. Uh, and it explained to me in terms of how cycles work. And when you talk about the build-up of debt, uh, one of the things I keep saying is, why, why is the Fed in the US and why is the Bank of England in the UK, why are they not allowing the machine to work anymore? Why do they keep kicking the down, uh, can down the road? And that, that makes me think of your article. It, it makes me think of uh, credit cycles. That, that we, we no longer have business cycles, and you talked about credit cycles. And so wh- why do you think they're not allowing the economic machine to work how it traditionally worked? They have theories they work around. It's basically Keynesian. And they believe that um, keeping rates low and making monetary policy easy, pushing money into the system, is going to increase uh, unemployment and it's going to increase growth. And the Treasury... Uh, under the last year of Trump, uh, especially, and then the first year of Biden, have been particularly willing to go along with this and say, well, let's let's throw $6 million at it. I'm sorry, $6 trillion at it. Um, and, the you know, the Federal Reserve has bought almost two-thirds of that. Um, same thing happening in, in all over Europe. Um, they think that it's going to make things better. And in the short term, uh, it does. I mean, was the government correct in pushing stimulus when the economy fell out of bed, uh, you know, last um, uh, February, March? And the answer is absolutely yes. Yeah. The car was in the ditch. Um, You got to pull it out. Now, as, as we start recovering, especially after we get vaccines, we we needed to stop. I, I thought I would have felt my advice would have been to pull back. You've seen some uh, Federal Reserve president, regional presidents saying we've got to start thinking about what they call tapering, which is pushing less money into the system. But they really believe that they can influence uh unemployment with low rates and easy money. And they've got all of these models that tell them they can do it. And that's what they're working on. And you can sit and talk to your blue in the face why you don't think that works. Doesn't make any difference. They're the Fed and you're not. So so with the Keynesian a com- a common enemy uh, with the Bitcoiners, because the Bitcoiners aren't fans of the Keynesians. Uh, and as I understand from your writings that you don't mind the Fed stepping in, but it should only be at times of crisis. Uh, the, the Federal Reserve is there for when the ox is in the ditch. I mean, cars, you know, when, when things have, the wheels have come off. They're the lender of last resort. And as one of your famous um, 
central bankers from the 18th century said, and from England, Badgett, it's Badgett's rules, is the central bank should be the lender of last resort at a, at a high price against strong collateral. So they can push money into the system, but it's, the, it's money that's not cheap money. Um, so they, they're, they're, they're the lender of last resort. And that's not what's evolved. Um, Keynes came along and basically said, when there's a recession, you should push money into the system. You should have uh, a stimulus from the uh, federal government. And then that's eventually evolved into the central banks as well. Um, and then you pay it back when the times are good. And, and as U.S., we've just, not, we've just never been very good at paying it back. So um, we had one brief period when Clinton and uh, Gingrich uh, passed some laws that, that allowed us to start paying down the debt and uh, re reducing the deficit. But that was a very, very brief period. And as soon as the uh, uh, Bush came in and the Republicans had control, they went right back to spending uh, money as fast as they could. And it's never slowed down since. Yeah, that's super interesting. I did actually study uh, economics at school for a short period of time. And one of the things we were talk taught about was running surpluses and deficits. Um, we don't seem to run um, a surplus anymore. We constantly run a deficit. And one of the things I was thinking about was why this happens is it's the political cycle gets in the way of uh, the economic cycle because there's no incentive for any political leader to deal with times of crisis in a different way. Okay, deal, deal with times of crisis by injecting capital into the system. But in normal times, it feels like everyone wants to push, kick the can down the road and get them through the next election and pass it on. It's, it's gotten beyond that now. Uh, in the US, we have Social Security, which is losing. I mean, we're now spending more on Social Security than we're taking in. Um, certainly with, with healthcare and Medicare, with all the other multiple benefits, um, many of which started out as temporary programs. And as Milton Keynes, uh, Milton, Keynes uh, uh, Milton Friedman said, uh, the most temporary, permanent thing in the world is a temporary government program. <laughs> uh, so we just, we keep spending, and now we're spending two and a half to three trillion dollars of what's called entitlement spending. And there is zero uh, impetus on either side by anybody to go in and say, well, we're gonna cut you know, your social security, we're gonna cut your health care. we're gonna cut this uh, tax credit, we're gonna take this from you. You know, it's just, there's just no, and, and what, what um, Biden this time with you know trying to get his three and a half trillion dollar program through, he's trying to. It's really more like a six trillion dollar program because they're 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 creating these temporary government programs that only last for five years, and they're saying, well, we're only spending you know a half trillion on this. When if he if he counted it for ten years, it'd be a full trillion, and it's like there's not going to be any. Uh, willingness to take away that government subsidy in uh, five years. People are going to become to expect it. Um, I mean, we're, we're now at a place where 55, 60% of Americans don't pay taxes of any other than Social Security, um, um, you know, but, but certainly not income taxes. I mean, it, it's, it's a smaller and smaller group. 
and they keep wanting to raise taxes on these, the rich, but you could take 100% of what they've got and we wouldn't come close to balancing the budget. Um, I think, and I was having this discussion with, on another podcast, with some very smart people that, uh, I, I mean, I was in the room for comic relief. But, uh, <laughs> Come on. And, but it, it, they were asking me, John, how does this turn out? I mean, how do we fix this? And I'm going, well, we, we don't fix it. We're going to have to have a crisis. It's going to have to be a major crisis um, where things just fall apart. And then when things are falling apart, then you sit and figure out what you're going to do. And that's when you have to ask the fundamental questions that nobody in government wants to ask now, which is how big should government be? I mean, really, how big do we want, how, how big do we want the government to be? And then ask the question, how do we want to pay for it? You know, just basics. And, and right now, everybody wants the government to be really big, and we don't want to pay for it. And I, that's not going to get resolved until we have a crisis. And maybe we don't. Maybe we become Japan and they just, because the Bank of Japan has borrowed the equivalent of about uh, $40 trillion. <laughs> it was in the U.S. But we're on our way. They're, they're up to $8 trillion. That We owe $28 trillion, $29 trillion now, I think. Uh, plus state and local would be closer to $31, $32. Um, it's, it, till we have a crisis, we're not going to solve it. Uh, I, I have things that I would like to do to restructure the tax program, but nobody's going to pay any attention to it. Uh, I've talked with congressmen. They say, well, yeah, you could, but we couldn't, we can't get that through. Um, uh, talking about using a VAT rather than income taxes and consumption taxes and so forth. Um, it's it's what I call the great reset in my writings. Yeah, you wrote uh, about this way before. Oh, I've been writing about it for a while. Because, yeah. I mean, but, but you can see it building. I mean, and, and by the way, I just want everybody to understand that I'm the biggest optimist in the room. Great. I, I am really long humanity. I think, you know... Peter, you're going to live to be 150 years old. I don't uh, know. I've, oh, I've yeah, a, I've, I've lived a troubled past. <laughs> well, yeah, but we're going to turn you. We're going to turn you back younger. So when you're when you're 150, you're going to be in a 25 year old body with your mind still running sharp. And if you keep your assets, then there you go. Um, I, I'm, I'm telling you, that is a this decade reality. Uh, I was just in Palm Beach looking at some brand new drugs that will be on the market in the, in the next two, three, four years that uh, it's already in seven different trials uh, that, but the, the research that I was looking at was showing the fantastic um, results it's having on aging in mice. And we know it's doing the same thing in humans anecdotally um, but it's working, using it for MS and thyroid and, and a mm -hmm. bunch of other stuff. So what's going to happen is eventually it's, it's already in phase two. They've already gone past the safety trials. Uh, it's going to get approved for some 
disease, some something. Uh, may get approved for PTSD. I mean, all sorts of stuff. And you're going to get it. You're going to go to your doctor and say, Doc, I got this because you want that drug. It's not the fountain of youth. It's not going to turn you young. It's not going to okay. reverse your age, but it's but it'll help maintain you where you are. Okay? I'll take that. Yeah, we'll all take that. Um, the, the, the There's a half a dozen different programs, I mean, major companies. Amazon just announced it. Uh, Google's doing it. Sinclair... They're all, they're all, everybody's doing, they're focusing in on one particular pathway now called induced tissue regeneration to reverse aging. I think that happens this decade. Uh, now, how that gets distributed will, will be a story. Uh, but, you know, all the other technological progress we're making. Uh, so even though we're, we're going to have this, I think, period of, of tumult economically, government-wise. Um, there's going to be places you can invest. There's going to be ways that you can position your portfolio to get yourself to the other side. I mean, you, you want to make sure, make sure you get from here over to, over to the other side with as much of your assets as you can intact. Um, and then, you know, rifle shot some of these new technologies um, that are, I mean, we're going to completely change how we do seeds in the world. That is happening right as we speak right now. Uh, Europe has just approved a new non-GMO uh, alternative to a GMO that herbicide resistant. It's going to reduce the, the amount of chemicals we put into the land, uh, reduce the amount of labor and water, everything else that's needed. That technology exist right now. It's going into the fields. It's going to be as big as the Green Revolution was. There's so many wonderful things happening. Um, so, you know, I, I say this all the time. I'm long humanity. Um, I'm, I'm short government. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let, let's get into that. Let's unpack some of that. Um, my friend, Lynn Alden, who I speak to regularly, she's a great economic uh, thinker, great macroeconomic thinker. She, she talks about this, and she believes we're going to have a currency devaluation. This is how we're going to pay for it. So bondholders will be paid back the nominal amount, but the purchasing power of what they'll be paid back will be lost. Her belief is that's how we're going to pay for this. Uh, and through inflation, what are your thoughts on that? I have a very decisive maybe. Okay. Uh, it, 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 that's precisely what I thought was going to happen when I wrote a book, The End Game, when I was talking about the Japanese uh, Bank of Japan was going to buy all the government debt. It was clear they were gonna have to do that. There was no other way for Japan to survive. Bond market couldn't do it. And I said, in every other case, all throughout history, without exception, currencies always went down. That's so, what Lin said I, to that, me. Sorry to interrupt. Lin said to me, Japan is the outlier. Or 50, J J 52 <laughs> of the last 53 countries where they've hit 130% debt to GDP have uh, essentially defaulted. Japan is the outlier. Japan, Japan, yeah. And, and I, my, my line that I used in the book was, Japan is bug in search of a windshield. And I predicted the yen <laughs> to go to 200. 
Uh, I actually thought it would go worse than that. I, I, I put on a 10-year option short. Uh, personally, I was going to pay for my house uh, mm. with that 10-year option. And, you know, I got the outlier. The, the dollar is the world's reserve currency. Do, does everybody in the world say, I want to be in the reserve currency so the dollar doesn't go down relative to the euro or the pound? I, the answer is, I don't know. And no, nobody else does either. It's speculation. This is one of those things you're just going to have to go through. And, um, you know, people ask me what I think about gold. And I say, well, gold to me is not an investment. Gold to me is central bank insurance. <laughs> okay. I mean, I've got homeowner's insurance. I've got life insurance. I have central bank insurance. And I buy gold and it's sitting in a vault. Um, and I hope that the value of my gold goes to zero. I really do. Because if my gold goes to zero, that means everything else worked. <laughs> and and, and uh, the, the world's in a wonderful place. Um, I'm, I'm afraid that it won't, so I'm, um, but, um, um, that's why people buy Bitcoin. People, people think of Bitcoin as uh, central bank insurance. And, and, and they do. Um, and it's certainly been better in terms of performance than my gold. Uh, I don't doubt that, get, get that at all. Uh, and I will say that I don't pers I haven't personally bought Bitcoin. But I have managers that I give money to. My, my basic business is I refer people to managers. I refer people to other people who are smarter than I am. And I give my money to these managers. And some of them have made me a lot of money in Bitcoin. So uh, I can't say that Bitcoin hasn't been good to me because it has. This has been better than my gold sitting in the vault. Um, so uh, I've got... Uh, I mean, in the, in the same way that I have managers that uh, are very long cannabis and all sorts of cannabinoids, and uh, those funds have outperformed all the other funds that I'm in. So, I mean, I I just kind of smile and laugh and, you know, go, well, okay. I'd never really thought of being a marijuana <laughs> investor before, but... Uh, <laughs> I trusted the managers, and the managers decided to get into it. And um, I mean, I, I focus a great deal more on the managers and his methodologies and what they're doing and how they then then how I fit them together because I don't want to have four managers doing the same thing. That's not diversification. So I diversify trading strategies, uh, and then I rifle shot a few technologies um, and things that I do deep dives on uh, personally. But generally, I give my money to people who are doing the technology deep dives better than I, I do. But it's, it's just, it's, it's a style that's worked and it works for my clients. Okay, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. 
And first up today, we have BlockFi, who recently announced the launch of the BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. Now, for people living out in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards Credit Card provides the easiest way for you to earn more Bitcoin because you can get an amazing 1.5% back in Bitcoin on all card purchases. And you know what? There is no annual fee. It is the smartest way to sack sats with Bitcoin rewards on every purchase. Now, not just that 1.5% back, but you can get 3.5% back in Bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership, and you can get 2% back in Bitcoin on every purchase of over 50,000 of annual spend. If you're interested in finding out more, then please head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Also, let's talk about Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, and I have been a Ledger customer since early 2000. 17, and I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Life software, which interfaces with your device. And if you're one of those freaks out there using an Android phone, then you can manage your Bitcoin on the go because it connects to your Nano S. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. And also we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I still haven't sold a single sat through Gemini because we are in a bull market and I only want to stack sats. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. And I'd like to welcome my new sponsor to the show, The Awesome Compass Mining, and they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of theirs, and I am now mining Bitcoin again. It's so good to be back, and I fucking love these guys. Now, Compass makes mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. And it was so easy to get onboarded, and now anyone can mine Bitcoin with Compass Mining. You just pick your machines, you choose your hosting facility, and they help you with everything else. It's so damn cool. Now, if you're interested in mining, you want to find out more about this, then please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. So let's talk about Sander Piles, because it's a great article, and I will encourage anyone listening to this to go and read uh, read it. It feels like we have quite a few sand piles at the moment, and we're facing a few avalanches. Do you want to talk about, you want to talk about this and explain what you were getting into in the article? Well, there was a group of uh, scientists using computers in the mid eighties and they were trying to study, uh, you know, chaos theory, critical theory, critical junctures. And so they would, you know, with the computer drop a piece of uh, sand onto onto the sand pile electronically and then they would notice that occasionally you would get an avalanche, just like you did when you go out to the beach, you're a kid, and you're playing in the sand piles. Um, and those sand piles conformed to what's called a power law that, you know, it just, and then they started uh, coloring those pieces of sand, red and green, when the sand drops and it drops into a stable position. And if it drops into an unstable position, you it would be red. And what they would find out throughout the sand pile is you'd get these red fingers of instability, they called them, 
that would connect. And so you would get a, a sand pile that was connected with lots of fingers of instability, but as long as the next piece of sand that went on it landed on a stable part, that was fine. And if it landed on a small, uh, un unstable part, you'd have a little, little avalanche, but it wasn't connected. But then you'd hit one of those critical junctures where the fingers of instability was connected with the whole thing and the whole pile just collapses. And going back to Minsky, who is a famous economist from the 40s and 50s, uh, Minsky gave us the concept of stability breeds instability. We think the more things are stable, the more we get used to things being stable, and the more we begin to invest and act in our lives. We think that today will be like yesterday and tomorrow will be like today. And so we expect, you know, that the Fed's going to be able to handle inflation. We expect that productivity will come back. We expect that we're going to get through this COVID. You know, we, we, it, it's, it's a good thing for humanity, by the way, because that makes us relative optimists and that gets us up in the morning and keeps us from living in caves and, and eating dried food. But um, it's that, uh, what it's, um, uh, Nassim Taleb, would he's famous for the book, The Black Swan, mm -hmm. but he wrote a book called Anti-Fragility. Yep. Um, and it's a great book. You should read the first half of it. The second half, he just keeps repeating himself. Um, and <laughs> he, Typical Nassim. Well, it, it is. He does that in a lot of his books, but otherwise they'd be so short. He has this really brilliant idea that he feels that he's got to expand it into something big enough to be a book as opposed to a monograph because um, you're not going to pay $19.95 for a monograph. <laughs> uh, but you will pay 19.95 for a book. But his the 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 idea was brilliant. The if you continue to allow thing, if you continue to not allow things to have a problem, if you continue to try to maintain stability, which is what the Federal Reserve and central banks are trying to do, they are putting off recessions. They are putting off many prices. They're putting off uh, a market uh, uh, downturn. They don't want anything to upset the, uh, the apple cart. And so the U.S. Federal Reserve, its first mandate was to uh, maintain price stability. Then in 1974, Congress in its wisdom said, well, we want you to be responsible for full employment. Like somehow or another, the Federal Reserve can magically improve full employment. But they did it nonetheless. So now the Federal Reserve picked that up and said, we're responsible for unemployment. Um, and they have assumed a um, third mandate, without explicitly saying so, is they're now responsible for the stock markets. Uh, and so any, you know, big hit in the stock market, they come in and, and throw more liquidity. They do something. Uh, I mean, when we had this bond crisis this last time, they said, well, we're going to buy corporate bonds. And the prices of corporate bonds, and of course, fell because the Fed was coming in. Uh, now, the Fed only had to buy like 20 or $30 billion, some small amount. 
but it was just the thought that the Fed was going to buy it. Forget for the moment whether it was actually legal that they could do it. They they had some lawyers tell them it was legal, that's fine. but uh, um, it, it's, it, they feel like they've got to keep everything smooth, and it's keeping everything smooth makes it more fragile. It makes it more uh, open to that Minsky moment when when things get out of control, um, and I mean the the anti. Anti-fragile thing is is a way of restating Minsky's proposition, but it's, it's I think it's a very elegant uh, way to say it. It's it's really worth uh, reading the first part, or there's there's probably some reviews out there where you get the you know just Google anti-fragility Taleb and uh, uh, review, and you could get the the basic idea. I mean, I've read the book. Okay, did yeah. you read the whole book? No, I think I've read about the first four <laughs> chapters. Me, 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 me and the CM aren't friends. He blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> oh, he, he, okay. he's, he's not. A, he's not a fan of Bitcoin. <laughs> he used to be. He used to be, but he changed his mind, and uh, he's uh, in, in turn not a fan of Bitcoiners. But I still think the book's brilliant. Uh, but but everything you're saying just takes me back to Ray Dalio's video on how the economic machine works. You have to allow the economic machine to work, and if you interfere too much and uh, 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 delay the downturns and allow companies to fail as they should fail when they need to fail, then it takes us into this position that we're in now. And and I, I'm I keep thinking about this great reset, whether it's a, a, a reset which is forced by government or it's a reset by the market. And and I'm assuming your preference is a reset by the market. Uh, well, I, I think the market will end up resetting and forcing the government to reset. I mean, it becomes a, uh, once you start down that path, you know, once once those fingers of stability, when you hit the real instabilities and, and they all come cratering down, um, and, and when you get a crisis like that, uh, and those crises tend to be periods of high unemployment, uh, yes, the government's going to continue to send social security checks out and, and payroll, but no, we aren't going to have enough money and we're going to be running massive deficits and the central bank will have to be buying massive amounts. I mean, I, I think a 25 or $30 trillion uh, balance sheet by the Federal Reserve by the end of this decade is not uh, out of the question. We'll certainly be over $50 trillion uh, I mean, I've demonstrated that a year and a half ago before the, the COVID crisis. And I'm waiting to update that research. Uh, we'll put it in, in a future letter. I want to see what uh, Pelosi and Schumer and friends get past Manchin and uh, uh, those House rebels. Um, I, I'm assuming they're going to get something, but I, you, Manchin's... Uh, if you paid any attention to his uh, article in the Wall Street Journal here about a week and a half ago, he was pretty clear that three and a half trillion or even two and a half trillion or two trillion was not on his uh, 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 list of things that he was be willing to vote for. So, you know, uh, he's also indicated that he'd be willing for 
uh, corporate taxes to go up a little bit, for capital gains taxes to go up a little bit. So he's there, there's a number out there of a certain number that certain government programs they're gonna we're gonna get. We don't know what that number is yet mm-hmm. because uh, that's still being negotiated behind closed doors. Um, well, we're seeing in the UK, we're seeing attempts at tax rises. I don't know if you've seen there's the announcement of a 1.25% rise in national insurance to cover social care. But really, I mean, all goes into one bucket. Uh, and there's talks of raising capital gains tax to bring it in line with um, income tax. So we're starting to see the UK government at least deal with these unpopular ideas of tax raises. But you don't... And this is, and this is during a Tory government. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's why it's unpopular. <laughs> and, 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 that, and, and that has, you know, if you, if you actually had a Labour government in, dear gods, what would they be looking at? So, well, they uh, would be spending. If it was a label government, they would they would be spending more and, and taxing the the ultra rich and not balancing the books. But uh, a Tory government, certainly one after a manifesto said they wouldn't be raising taxes. It's going to prove ever, very unpopular, uh, and I think this this might be the end of this Tory government. Be careful what you wish for. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I'm not wishing for a Labour government. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, what's his name? But. Uh, um, I, of course, I have no idea. I don't. I, I don't pay a lot of attention to UK politics. Only only around election times. Um, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a mess, <laughs> similar to most global politics right now. Well, uh, yeah, pretty much. You're always picking. Yeah, you feel like you're always picking the the worst of a bunch. Uh, sorry, the best of a bad bunch. Uh, uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, look, interesting times. I think a lot of people will be thinking. Listen to this. Okay, John, but how do how do I prepare for this? How do I how do I get through this, retaining as many as my assets as possible? Uh, I'm sure you have a plan. I want to diversify trading strategies, and I mean, and, and for me, for instance, I have a lot of money in hedge funds, and um, they're very boring hedge funds. They 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 do boring things, and they averaged. Over the over the last uh, nine years, because we've got them all in one bucket, that we've been able to figure it out, and and every now and then we'll switch out, or somebody will close their fund down, and we have to put it somewhere else. But they've averaged something like nine percent a year for me. I mean, it's more like a bond than its worst year was down zero point two percent, and its best year was over twenty. But it's it's been in that you know eight nine percent range, um, and. You, if you don't qualify for hedge funds, there's other trading strategies out there in the ETF world, in the mutual fund world um, that you can get. And by trading strategies, it means they're not long. They don't buy an index fund. They're they're doing they're 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 trying to arbitrage something, um, and you can see what they're doing. Um, and and how they're doing it. Um, I want to, if you can qualify, there are places where I do a lot of private credit, um, where um, rather than buying bonds at two percent, uh, I can get private credit that's paying me six, seven, eight percent. Um, and there's there's a lot of that out there. 
Um, there's, there's an entire world of um, what used to be uh, small and regional banks would take care of. And the government, the, the regulators have so clamped down on what they can do, they've now gone into the private market. And there's this rather large private market out there um, that, you know, it's, 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 it's a little bit of a mystery because it's not, you just can't go punch the button and say private credit and you get 40, you know, 50 options, uh, or actually there's closer to hundreds of options, but um, you, you, have to, you have to find a manager that knows where to go and look and that does their homework on that. Um, and so we put our clients into private credit. Uh, we find, um, we, and, and that's, all of that's kind of in our, what we call our core bucket. This is stuff that I'm expecting to be there. And it's going to go up and down in value, uh, but it's, it's, not, it's, not going to, it's not going to make me rich. It's just going to, make, it's going to get me there. I don't, want to, I, don't want, I don't want to lose a lot. And that's, say, roughly 80%, 90%. And then you, you, you have your explore bucket where you're, you break it up into um, targets for uh, technologies and other things that you think have the opportunity to do uh, a great deal more. Uh, I'm for people with a particular personality, uh, real estate's a great option. Um, I mean, it, it's, um, I mean, it's, you have to find things that fit your personality. Uh, I, I don't particularly want to own a lot of real estate except maybe through another manager. Um, but some people, and it's a fairly stable, boring asset. Um, but I'm, a, I'm in, I like boring. Um, as long as you beat inflation. Well, and that's been easy for the last 20, 30 years. Um, now we, you know, now we have to pay attention to what uh, Powell is going to do. Uh, I saw a funny picture the other day. I showed a Powell that looked like he was 98 years old, um, you know, all wrinkled up. And it says, Powell getting ready to announce his first hack rate hike increase, uh, you know, uh, you know, 20 years from now. Um, I, I, the, the, there's a story without trying to bore your listeners too much about Chairman Burns when he was the Fed chair back in the 70s. And uh, somebody brought him some data and said, this is going to be inflationary. And he looked at it and he says, no, not. It's going to be transitory. We're, not, we're going to ignore that. And they'd bring him another thing. It's going to be transitory. Ignore that. And he went along for almost eight or nine years. It started actually in the 60s. Uh, by the time he got out in, in, in the late 70s, inflation was at 10% rising. Because in his world, everything had been transitory just like it is in, in Chairman Powell's world right now. It's all transitory. <laughs> and, and, and all of those wage increases, all of the rental income and housing uh, increased prices, all of the food prices that are being increased, um, those are all transitory to him. And, and I, just, I don't see those coming back. Um, 
I, I think the Fed should be leaning into this. And yes, would that create a problem with the markets? Yes. Um, I'm sorry. But I think price stability is far more important uh, than making sure the market stays up at um, ever higher mar- uh, numbers. Uh, what are the risks of inflation right now? We've seen various figures quoted you know, three, four, five percent. But oh, we're at, we're, also... at five, we're at five and six percent right now over the last three, four months. And, but with certain and... things that, that that aren't included within the basket, we're seeing much higher inflation numbers. Uh, I know, for example, people like work in trade sectors are talking about ten to fifteen percent rises in prices for raw materials. Oh yes, oh yeah, and and um, uh, the, the you're seeing same thing happening for uh, rises in prices, especially for wages at the lower sector. Um, you're, I mean, you're seeing. Uh, what's called as owner's equivalent rent here in the U.S. You have housing prices in the U.K. Are, are rents going up? And it's going up by more than 2 or 3%. It's going up to 5 and 10%. That's real inflation. And, it, it you know, the same thing with food prices. Um, um, we ha- we're having the same problem you, ha- you mentioned earlier. We can't get enough truck drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's... Uh, Part of the problem is that China and their ports are having COVID issues, even though they're not calling it COVID issues, and their ports are shut down and stacked up. And they're not, and all of this, all of this stuff that we're supposed to be getting into the United States and the rest of the world is is stuck in uh, the bowels of a port in uh, China. Uh, are there risks that we see much higher inflation numbers? From the Fed, uh, and it feels like the Fed tries to hide real inflation. But no, it, it is it is a real risk. It shouldn't be a risk. That's the problem. That's my that's my frustration. It should not be a risk. Um, and the Fed seems to think that they want to get employment down to back to three point five percent in the U.S. We we saw that once during the Vietnam War, and once at the end of Trump's. Uh, uh, 2009 uh, period, and those were fleeting moments. Unemployment in the four and a half, four and a half range is, to me, that's that's close enough for government work. We're we're at 5.2 now. Uh, we should be backing off. Uh, there's 10 million jobs out there. It's not like there's not enough jobs for workers. We're we're going to have to reskill people. People are going to have to be willing to move. What am I? I've got uh, eight kids, uh, uh, five, yeah, five adopted. So I'm, uh, my my family is more colorful than yours. I have two blacks, two Asians, a blonde brunette, a redhead, and a Choctaw Indian. But, You're like a Texas Madonna. <laughs> oh God, I, I hope I look better than that. But uh, <laughs> um, but she, she makes more money, so I, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be sarcastic. Um, the the um one of the one of them was was saying that he's he's now working in Oklahoma uh, and he's saying I'm getting ready to go to Florida because there's more jobs at higher pay and um he was thinking about Maine because he could double his income going to Maine but he says 
I think I'll wait till after the winter's over before I go to Maine. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fair decision. Yeah. So, I mean, people are going to have to move to where the jobs are. Um, They're going to have to learn new skills. There's... um, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that that are, that are happening. So, but you believe the Fed should lead into this? You believe they should raise rates? I think I think they should start tapering first, um, and then begin to raise rates. I I, I don't like to do a two variable experiment, um, but I would like to see them taper twenty billion dollars a month for the next you know four meetings, and then start telegraphing, we're going to be raising rates. Um, and and just not worry what the market does. If the market says, well, we're going to drop 20%, say, well, okay, guys, that's, markets drop 20%. That's, you know, uh, we've, got to, we've got to control prices. It's great to have you on and great to discuss this. And it's sometimes nice to not, not be focusing just on Bitcoin to hear uh, other opinions. Uh, a lot of Bitcoiners listening will be like, oh, but John, you should be buying Bitcoin. But it sounds like you've got it right with your managers and your gold holdings. But I've really enjoyed this chat. So thank you for giving well, up your time. I have too. This has been fun. Uh, by the way, people just can go to Malden Economics or yeah. Google John Malden. My letter's free. Just stick your name, email address in, then you're one of my one million closest friends. Shows up every every Saturday morning. It'll be in your inbox. Well, I, I will stick that in the show notes and make sure people get to that as well. And uh, when I'm next down in Texas having a steak, uh, Nick. Well, you got to come. You got to come to Puerto Rico now. I, well, I would love to come to Puerto Rico. It seems to be a growing list of people I know there. I would love to come to Puerto Rico, hang out with you and Peter Schiff. Uh, but I'm also a big fan of uh, Nick and Sam's down in Dallas. Oh, well, see, now, I used to live two blocks from Nick and Sam's. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, I, I knew the staff, the bartender. They, they knew what to serve me, what to put out the minute I walked in. Uh, they do the greatest steak. I had the greatest steak I've ever eaten It was there. They can't, make yeah. a whiskey, they can't make a whiskey sour, but they can, damn, they can make a steak. So uh, yeah. next time I'm there, I'll think of you. And when I get to Puerto Rico, you, me, and Peter Schiff can go and hang out and Talk about gold, go. Bitcoin, and the economy. But John, listen, thank you. I will tell everybody about this. Uh, I think people are going to love listening to this, and uh, I hope to touch you again sometime in the future. My pleasure, and uh, anytime, just call up. We'll have fun. All right, man. You take care. Bye bye. Hope you enjoyed this one. If you've got any questions, you know you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com or you can hit me up on my Telegram group. Outside of that, if you want to support the show, I only ever want you to do one thing. Just head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave me a review. Hopefully you think the show deserves five stars. Outside of that, have a great rest of your week and I will see you all very soon.